The House and Senate will come back Monday and stay through Thursday. Last week in the House, the House came back on Monday, but didn't hold any votes until Tuesday. First up was a vote on the rule to govern floor consideration of H.R. 4468, the Choice in Automobile Retail Sales Act, H.R. 5933, the Deterrent Act, and H.J. Res. 88, a Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval against the rule relating to improving income-driven repayment for the William D. Ford Direct Loan Program and the Federal Family Education Loan Program. The rule passed by a vote of 213 to 201. Then the House took up and passed four bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up H.R. 5933, the Deterrent Act, and began considering amendments. The House adopted one and failed to adopt two. Then the House voted to pass the amended bill by a vote of 246 to 170. Then the House moved right into H.R. 4468, the Choice in Automobile Retail Sales Act. The bill passed by a vote of 221 to 197. Then the House took up a Democrat motion to table H. Res. 914, a resolution to censure Representative Jamal Bowman, for having violated the law in the District of Columbia by falsely pulling a fire alarm. The motion to table failed by a vote of 201 to 216. On Thursday, the House voted to pass H.J. Res. 88, a CRA resolution of disapproval against the rule relating to improving income-driven repayment for the William D. Ford Direct Loan Program and the Federal Family Education Loan Program. The resolution passed by a vote of 210 to 189. Then the House took up H.R.S. 914, censuring Representative Jamal Bowman. The censure resolution passed by a vote of 214 to 191, and then they were done. This week in the House, the House will return Monday with the first vote set for, for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider 14 bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the House will consider the following legislation. H.R. 6570, the Protect Liberty and End Warrantless Surveillance Act. H.R. 6611, the FISA Reform and Reauthorization Act. H.R. 1147, the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act of 2023. H.R. 357, the Ensuring Accountability in Agency Rulemaking Act and HRES 918, directing certain committees to continue their ongoing investigations as part of the existing House of Representatives inquiry into whether sufficient grounds exist for the House of Representatives to exercise its constitutional power to impeach Joseph Biden, President of the United States of America, and for other purposes. In other words, it'll be a vote on a resolution to formally authorize an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And then, under suspension of the rules, the House will take up the conference report to accompany H.R. 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2024. Last week in the Senate, the Senate returned on Monday and voted to confirm Irma Carrillo Ramirez to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Lauren L. Ali Khan to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Columbia. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Elizabeth H. Richard to be Coordinator for Counterterrorism with the rank of Ambassador-at-Large at the State Department. 
On Wednesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Nathalie Reyes to be ambassador to the Republic of Croatia. Then Majority Leader Schumer decided to put the emergency supplemental funding request for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and border security on the floor. So he called a vote on a motion to proceed to a motion to invoke cloture on H.R. 815, the legislative vehicle for the emergency supplemental. The motion was going to be defeated by a vote of 50 to 50. Vermont Independent Bernie Sanders, who caucuses with the Democrats, had decided to join the Republicans in opposition. So the majority leader switched his vote to nay, so he could be a part of the majority, and then offer a motion to reconsider at a later date. So the final recorded vote tally was 49 to 51. On Thursday, the Senate voted by 84 to 13 to reject a motion to discharge SJ Res 51, a joint resolution directing the removal of U.S. armed forces from hostilities in Syria that have not been authorized by Congress. Then, by a vote of 82 to 15, the Senate agreed to a motion to proceed to the conference report to accompany H.R. 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act. Then the Senate agreed, by a vote of 63 to 32, to invoke cloture on the nomination of Richard N. Federico to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return Tuesday, I'm sorry, Monday, with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m., at that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on confirmation of Richard E. N. Federico to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I anticipate we'll see votes on the nominations of Harry Coker, Jr. to be National Cyber Director and the conference report to accompany H.R. 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act. And, of course, if they can work out a deal, I expect we'll see another vote on President Biden's request for an emergency supplemental spending bill. Now to Senator Tuberville's hold on military promotions. On Tuesday morning of last week, Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville decided that he would end his one-man protest and drop his holds on military promotions for all officers of three-star rank and below. On Tuesday afternoon, at his regular Senate Republican lunch, he informed his Republican colleagues. Then he went out and announced it to the world. And then, later Tuesday afternoon, 425 military officers had their promotions confirmed unanimously on the Senate floor. Tuberville had, since February, been holding up confirmations on the military promotions as an effort to get the Department of Defense to reverse its post-Dobbs abortion policy, in which the Biden administration decided to use taxpayer dollars, without authorization from Congress, to compensate service members and their dependents for their out-of-state travel to obtain abortions. Now let's talk about that emergency supplemental spending bill. On Wednesday of last week, still not having reached agreement on a deal that would trade enhanced border security for aid for Ukraine and Israel, the Senate considered a motion to proceed to a motion to invoke cloture on a bill that would serve as the legislative vehicle for the emergency supplemental package. It went down on an almost party-line vote. Every Republican voted against it, and almost every Democrat, except for Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer, for reasons already explained, voted for it. That failed cloture vote was Schumer's attempt to call the Republicans bluff. They held firm. We're still waiting. The clock is still ticking. We still haven't seen anything on paper. 
Republicans in the Senate say they're still negotiating. Democrats in the Senate said they walked away, but then came back. Ukraine and Israel are still waiting. Ukrainian President Zelensky will be in Washington tomorrow to meet with President Biden. Later, he'll meet with Speaker Johnson in the Capitol and with members of the Senate in the Capitol as well. Now let's talk about surveillance and Section 702. Protecting the national security of the United States requires the collection and analysis of foreign intelligence outside the United States. That collection process is governed by a 1978 law called the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, that was enacted in the wake of national security, intelligence community, and law enforcement scandals of the 1960s and 1970s. FISA restricted the intelligence community's processes and procedures for gathering intelligence. In 2008, FISA was amended by the addition of Section 702, which specifically governs the collection of foreign intelligence outside the U.S. Under Section 702, the intelligence community is authorized to collect intelligence against targeted subjects reasonably believed to be overseas without a warrant under broad procedures approved by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, but not specific to any individual target. The intercepted communications, generally produced inside the United States, then get stored in massive databases and wait to be used when the intelligence community decides to query the databases for particular information. Now, this next part is key. While the surveillance must be conducted against individuals who are outside the territorial boundaries of the U.S., the intelligence collection process routinely captures communications with individuals inside the U.S., including U.S. persons who can claim the protections of the Fourth Amendment's guarantee against unreasonable search and seizure simply because they are inside the U.S. when the communication takes place. These communications go into the database and can then be queried by the intelligence community using identifiers associated with U.S. persons. Intelligence gathered under Section 702 is central to the security of the U.S. In 2022, nearly 60% of the articles written for the President's Daily Brief, that's the chief daily product of the intelligence community, contained Section 702 information reported by the National Security Agency, 60%. Section 702 intelligence was used to help foil a 2009 plot to bomb the New York City subway. In 2014, Section 702 assisted in the removal of an ISIS leader. In 2022, Section 702 information informed planning for a military operation that resulted in the death of the leader of ISIS. And later last year, in 2022, Section 702 played a key role in the successful U.S. strike against Ayman al-Zawahiri, Osama bin Laden's successor as leader of al-Qaeda. Section 702 expires at the end of this month. If it is not reauthorized before then, as it has been several times since its enactment in 2008, it would be a catastrophic blunder that could lead to a catastrophic event. Against that deadline, an unusual political coalition of hard leftists, libertarians, and MAGA supporters have gotten together in the belief that Section 702 must be gutted because, in their narrative, it is the legal authority that allows the federal government to spy on American citizens. Many of them point to senior FBI leaders' abuse of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in the Russiagate investigation 
as justification for their argument. But the FBI's abuse of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in the Russiagate investigation, in which an American citizen named Carter Page was wrongly surveilled by the FBI after the FBI improperly obtained FISA warrants against him based on the illegal falsification of warrant applications, was not an abuse of Section 702, which governs the collection of foreign intelligence overseas. It was an abuse of the FBI's powers to collect domestic intelligence right here at home. As Section 702 nears expiration, law enforcement and intelligence community leaders have notified congressional leaders that the law must be reauthorized. Both the House Judiciary Committee and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence last week marked up reauthorization bills. The Judiciary Committee's bill is H.R. 6570, the Protect Liberty and End Warrantless Surveillance Act. The Intelligence Committee's bill is H.R. 6611, the FISA Reform and Reauthorization Act. While both bills offer various reforms meant to shrink the potential abuses of Section 702 intelligence collection efforts, the Judiciary Committee's reform bill goes much farther than does the Intelligence Committee's bill in one particular area. How does it treat intelligence regarding U.S. persons caught up in a legitimate intelligence collection operation targeted against a foreign national? Well, the opponent's solution is simple. They want to insert a warrant into the process. Specifically, opponents of Section 702 want the intelligence community to, to be required to seek a warrant if and when it wants to query the database on information regarding a U.S. person, that is, a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident. But the law already requires that. FISA requires a warrant when the database is going to be required for information regarding a criminal case. And there should be no warrant required when the government is seeking foreign intelligence. Two different things, foreign intelligence and criminal evidence. Speaker Johnson, still getting his sea legs under him as he adjusts to his new responsibilities, is not an expert on foreign intelligence collection, nor an expert on the Fourth Amendment's guarantee of a protection against unreasonable search and seizure. Rather than make a choice between the products of the two committees and then put that choice on the floor, he has announced that he will put both bills onto the floor under a rule colloquially called Queen of the Hill, in which the two bills are voted on in succession, and the one with the most votes wins, as long as it has at least a majority of the body supporting it. And by wins, we mean that's the bill that gets sent to the Senate. Prior to that floor vote, House Republicans will meet tonight for a special conference meeting to discuss the two bills. Now to the Biden crime family saga. Special Counsel David Weiss, doing his best to cover himself, finally indicted Hunter Biden on nine counts of felony tax evasion, filing false returns, and failure to pay taxes. If convicted on all counts, Biden could be sentenced to as much as 17 years in a federal penitentiary. Here's what is not in the indictment. Anything at all about Joe Biden. Why? Because as the IRS whistleblowers testified on multiple occasions, the DOJ shut down all avenues of inquiry regarding Joe Biden. Investigators were never given access to Hunter Biden's laptop, even though the FBI took possession of it in 2019. Investigators were never given the FBI FD-1023 
confidential information report form alleging Joe Biden had solicited and accepted a $5 million bribe from the head of Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. When investigators wanted to get a search warrant for a guest house at Joe Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home, they were denied. When investigators asked to get cell phone location data to see if they could verify Joe Biden's location when his son was texting a business colleague in China, threatening him by saying he was sitting next to his father, they were denied permission. And when investigators wanted to ask Hunter's business associates about emails using the phrase, the big guy, they were denied permission. The mainstream media and the Democrats, ah, but I repeat myself, want you to believe the investigation is all about Hunter Biden. It's not. It's about whether or not Joe Biden is corrupt. Which leads us to our discussion of the Biden impeachment inquiry. On Tuesday, to support their case for opening an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, House Republican investigators in the form of the three committees that have been investigating Biden released a 78-page report on the status of their investigation to date. Issued by the House Judiciary, Ways and Means, and Oversight Committees, the document charges that the Department of Justice is preventing two would-be whistleblowers from testifying before the House. Quote, The Justice Department has still not fully complied with requests for relevant documents, and it has impeded the committee's investigation by baselessly preventing two tax division officials, senior litigation counsel Mark Daly and trial attorney Jack Morgan, from testifying despite subpoenas compelling their testimony. These documents and this testimony are necessary for the committees to complete our inquiry, end quote, says the report. The report is divided into three major sections. The first section focuses on the alleged special treatment afforded Hunter Biden by DOJ officials. The second section focuses on whether U.S. Attorney slash Special Counsel David Weiss was empowered with what they call ultimate authority to make charging decisions. And the third section focuses on the broader attempt to cover up Hunter Biden's wrongdoing. On the same day, the two IRS whistleblowers we already know of, Gary Shapley and Joe Ziegler, testified publicly for the first time before the Ways and Means Committee. They confirmed their earlier testimony regarding the special treatment given to Hunter Biden during their investigation of him, and Shapley upped the ante at the end of the hearing when he said, quote, what we need is a special counsel investigating David Weiss and the Department of Justice handling of this investigation, and that's going to include me too. Look at everything I did. Look at everything he says. Every report he writes is going to be self-serving. It's going to be a defense of the things they did wrong in that investigation, end quote. Elsewhere on that same Tuesday, Speaker Johnson said he would move this week to bring to the floor a resolution authorizing an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. The House has no choice, he said at a Tuesday press conference. If it's going to follow its constitutional responsibility to formally adopt an impeachment inquiry on the floor so that when the subpoenas are challenged in court, it will be at the apex of our constitutional authority. This vote is not a vote to impeach Joe Biden, he said. This is a vote to continue the inquiry of impeachment. And that's a necessary constitutional step. 
Now, finally, to The Jenny Beth Show. Episode 43 of The Jenny Beth Show dropped last Wednesday, and it's another great conversation. This time, the expert on the other end of the microphone is Myron Ebel of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, the man named by the Sierra Club as one of the single greatest threats our planet has ever faced. High praise indeed from that band of left-wing Looney Tunes. Tune in and learn what you need to know about climate alarmism and the left's war on energy. And that's our Washington Report for this week.